0: I remember hearing a story many years ago about a little boy who had ripped the cover of his favorite book. And he took it to his mommy because he knew that mommies and daddies can fix anything, right? And his mother looked at it and she didn't have any tape. She couldn't find the roll of tape. And so she did the next best thing and she put a band-aid on the cover of the book and good as new, gave it back to him. A couple days later, he came back to his mother and he said, can we take the Band-Aid off now? And she said, why would we take the Band-Aid off? And he said, well, it's been two days. It, it should be all better by now, right? Aw, I heard that story a long time ago, long before I had kids. And I have to tell you, hearing a story like that, it stuck with me, not just because of the it, aw, not just because it was cute. That story kind of terrified me just a little bit. Because I had a feeling that one day I'd have kids, and one day they would bring me something that was broken, and what if I couldn't fix what they brought me? Now, it started out with toys, and more often than not, I could fix the toys. Or, sometimes you go buy another toy that's exactly like the broken one, and you just, you just don't tell them. Don't tell them that's a new You ever, yeah, you had to do that a few times, haven't you? With Gracie and, and Megan as they got older, a few times it was glasses, and I never was really good at fixing glasses, but I did my best. And with Connor, it's everything. Uh, Connor he breaks anything and everything. Often it's some of my stuff that he ends up breaking. What happens? What happens when it's not a toy? What happens when it's a broken heart? Though, so, what what is a parent to do? What is a father to do when your child comes to you and your child is deeply wounded inside. Maybe we should think about that when we call God our Father and when we realize that there is something broken inside of us. If you go all the way back to the very beginning, go back to Genesis chapter 2, it's there that we're told that God formed man out of the dust of the earth and he, he breathed life into the man. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says the man became a living soul. Isn't that beautiful? The man became a living soul. I think that's a beautiful image. But ten verses later, Adam and Eve are warned, if you eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. A little bit later in the next chapter, they eat from that Tree, they do not drop dead, but something within them does die. That living soul is broken and there is no band-aid that fixes that. So what is a father to do when his child is broken? I wonder if that's where we really need to start when we come to 1 Peter and we look at that verse that we've come back to every week this month as we've gone through peter chapter by chapter that driving verse that we found at the very beginning 1 peter chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our failure and our pain has broken that living soul that God breathed into us. So what does the Father give us? Not a band-aid, not a quick fix, but a living hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we wrap up Peter's letter today, we see that he has told us again and again there are a world of hurts out here for us, but your hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Hold firm to that living hope. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5 today, beginning in verse 6, going to verse 11. If you want to follow along in those blue Bibles, it's page 1017. Peter begins in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him And so as Peter draws this letter to an end, he wants us to make sure that we know that our hope is truly alive. And that begins with you and I having a very honest view of who we are and of who we aren't. And Too often when when those pains of life come, we put up a false front. We put up a false front. We try to put on a brave face. We try to look brave. We try to look tough. All the while, we're hurting inside. We will project confidence. We will project security. All the while, knowing deep inside, we need help. We need someone to come along, not with a Band-Aid, but with true support, with a supportive shoulder, with a living hope. And we need to realize we don't always have to be the brave one. We can be strongest when we're simply together and simply there for someone else. That's where Peter begins in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You have to back up just one more verse, though, back into verse 5, to hear more of Peter's reasoning for this call to humility. Verse 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, in humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We struggle. We struggle to define humility. Ask someone what humility really means. They'll say, well, humility, that's that's meekness. That's not helpful because now I need to know what meekness means. And some people say, humility is power under control. Well, sort of. But what Peter shows us there in verse 5, he gives us a big key on getting a handle on humility. Not a definition, but a handle. Peter tells us that humility only works when we all do it together. When we are all humble together. In fact, he's just got done there right before that passage addressing the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, those that we hold in authority And what Peter is saying is you're all in this together, all of you from the top to the bottom. Be humble towards one another. And I think it's important that we remember, it's just a little mind-blowing that it's Peter who is telling us this. Do you remember Peter from the Gospels? Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times enough? I think because his brother is probably standing right there going, what did I do to you? Lord, which one of us is the greatest? You're not going to wash my feet, are you, Lord? I can see you washing their feet, but you're not going to wash my feet. For all those times that you and I think humility is kind of far from us, so we haven't quite got it yet. Trust me, there is hope. If Peter finds it, you and I can find it. Don't beat yourself up too bad. You can learn to grow in this. You can learn to grow in Christ. That's Paul's advice, too. We love that passage, Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. Philippians 2, we love that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition but, or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. That's, again, all of us doing it together. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have, your, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Living hope means dying to ourselves. Dying to our selfishness and that view of ourselves that says, I don't need anyone's help. I've got it. I can take care of this myself. No. You and I are here for each other. We're here to support and strengthen each other and point each other to the love of Jesus. And so Peter calls us to be humble. To humble ourselves. You see, it's only when we come to that honest view of who we are and and who we aren't that we can be fully aware of the challenges that are before us. And we have challenges, every one of us. And our lack of humility very often is what keeps us from sharing those challenges with our friends. Our lack of humility might even make us ashamed that we have struggles. might make us embarrassed. I don't want to tell them I'm going through that. I don't want people to know what's happening. I can't let anyone know I'm human. I can't let anyone know that I have weaknesses too. I have to carry this all myself. That's not why we're here together. Peter reminds us of that. One more time, back to verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I want you to notice... Peter does not deny the reality of anxiety. He does not deny the reality of our anxieties. Too many people do that. Too many people pretend that those anxieties aren't there. They pretend they're not really going to them. Everything is fine. Or maybe they beat themselves up. You're not supposed to have anxieties. Or maybe you found a preacher who will beat you up. And I've heard preachers do this who will beat you up because of the anxieties we're going through. And they'll say things like, you tell the preacher you've got an anxiety, they'll say, no, no, no. Philippians chapter 4, verse, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. It is a sin if you've got anxiety. Don't, I probably said that once or twice. Don't listen to me when I do that. Don't listen to any preacher. That is so wrong. I, I repent of that if I've ever done that. And more to the point, is it helpful? Is it even helpful? Is it even honest? I think someone telling you do not be anxious probably makes you a little more anxious, if anything. In this world, you will have troubles. Jesus told us that. By being aware of them, by being honest about them, we know what to do with them. Again, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, Peter moves from the one who cares for you to the one who does not care for you. The one who cares nothing for you. And the problem is, if we don't give our anxieties to Jesus, our anxieties will be used against us. Used to cut us off from the support of our friends who also have their anxieties. Uh, to, to cut us off from the strength that we know together. You see, that, that's what a lion does. The lion looks for the weak one in the herd or the weak one in the flock, and he cuts that one off from the rest so that the weak one can't run with the rest. So the weak one cannot be supported by the entire flock. He cuts them off so they can't have that support from the group. And then the lion snatches them and devours them. Verse 9, resist him. Resist your adversary, the devil. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I know our attention is drawn to the danger of Satan in that Verse in verse 8. I know our attention is drawn to the roaring lion, but don't miss what Peter is saying about your pain, about your suffering, about your anxieties, about your wound, knowing that the same kind, the same kind of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. His point is, you're not alone. Whatever you're feeling, whatever that feeling is that makes you feel so alone, somebody else is feeling it too. And when we come together, we find a place where we can share that, where we can draw from, from each other and we can, we can find strength. It's so easy to think, I, I don't need help. I can do this on my own. I don't need your support. I, I don't need your sympathy. I don't need a church. I can do this by myself. That is a lie straight from an enemy that wants to destroy us. The challenges before us should draw us together. With an honest view, Of ourselves with an awareness of the challenges before us, it's then that we're able to place our confidence in God's grace. It's been interesting to trace this theme of suffering and this theme of trials and difficulties all the way through Peter's letter. He started out in chapter 1, verse 6, and he said, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you might be grieved by various trials. As though it, it could happen, it might not happen. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, he said, you need to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's that's it. Just endure the sorrows while suffering unjustly. Chapter 3, if you should suffer. If you should suffer for doing good. Again, it, it might happen. Chapter 4, verse 15, let no one suffer as a murderer or as a thief or even as a meddler. And then here in chapter 5, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's as though Peter's had to ease us into this, like easing yourself down into a hot bath. It burns, it hurts, but it's going to feel so good. Once that grace has completely engulfed us, it's going to bring comfort. Comfort from the God of all grace. Did you notice that in verse 10? That's the name that Peter gives to God. That's the title he gives him. The God of all grace. Not just the grace that saved you. Who knows how many years ago that was? Not just the, the grace that forgives you. Not just the grace that one day will raise you to new life, but all grace. And that should lead us to ask, what grace do I need today? What grace is available for me today? I need grace to get along with those people who are challenging me. I need grace to, the, to, to, to get along with the people who challenge me. I need grace for my work. I need grace for my focus. i got to tell you, I need grace for my focus this week. I need grace to show my kids. I need grace to show my friends. I need need grace to show myself. The passage begins with a call to humble ourselves. And and out of that call, there has come promise after promise after promise. Verse 6, if you humble yourself at the proper time, God will raise you up. If we humble ourselves together, casting all of our anxieties on Him, he cares for us and then here in verse 10 listen to all that god promises you again verse verse 10 and after you have suffered a little while the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you i don't think we can we can wrap our heads around all that's being promised there in In verse 10. In fact, I'm going to take the next few days. If you follow me on Facebook, if you follow me on a few other places in social media, I'm going to be exploring those four ideas there. What he does for us, how he restores us, how he confirms us, how he strengthens us, and how he establishes us. He says he will restore you. He's going to mend what's broken. He's going to mend what needs repair. Not with, not with a band-aid. Not with duct tape, not with bailing wire, but he is going to rebuild you. He's going to remake you in his grace. He's going to confirm you. There's always that feeling after we fix something that has broken, there's always that worry that it's going to break again, right? You fix it once, it's gonna, it's gonna break again. It's still fragile. No, no, no. Confirm means he sets you firmly in place. It's not going to break again. And then he's going to strengthen you. Some of you know that word very well. It's, it's the word for what the that person that comes to your house every now and then does. You know, the physical terrorist who comes? Therapist, the physical therapist who comes to your house. You know the people? They come and help you after you've had surgery. They help you regain your strength. They help you regain your range of motion. They're there and it hurts, doesn't it? And get you an know, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It hurts, but they are there to strengthen you. That's the idea there. What's the goal? To make you stronger, to make you more capable. That's what God is doing here. And then he says to establish you. It means he's laying a firm foundation under you. Firm foundation so that the anxieties that do come, the trials that come, the pains, the trauma that leaves us shaken, God gives you strength to endure, strength to stand. And after all of that, Peter can't help himself. He breaks out into praise. Final verse in this passage, this paragraph here. The final verse is a doxology, it is a doxology doxology is just a fancy word. It means glory words. That's what it is. It's glory words. A few weeks ago, we spontaneously sang the doxology. And so many of you said, man, I miss the doxology. I love singing the doxology. Peter apparently loved just coming up with one right there. Because in the middle of of this vision of, of the God of all grace, he cannot help but break out into words of glory and offer praise to God. And he says there in verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That word dominion, in Greek it's the word might, as in God is mighty, God is powerful. But it's not just His might. You notice, it is His might forever and ever. In the Greek, it's literally, to Him be the might of the ages of the ages. Not just the might for today, but the might for all time. What might do you need today? What power do you need today? What is it that's holding you back today? What is it that's holding you down today? What anxiety... He's trying to take control of you today. You know, if you you trust in your own might, sooner or later, you're going to fail. We all feel that pain. And so Peter says, no, no, no. Put your trust in the One who has all the power, who has all the might. The might of the ages of the ages belongs to Him. And with that might is His grace. And so this is our living hope. Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive, you do not have to hurt alone. Because Jesus is alive, pain is not the end of your story. Because Jesus is alive, that anxiousness, that anxiety, that, that thing that keeps you awake, it doesn't have to control you. And though there may be suffering today, we know comfort, we know support, We know strength through Jesus. And we know it through the care that we show each other as we bear those burdens together. And together we can know that the one who has the might of the ages, he wants you to be mighty today. The one who has the might of the ages wants you to be mighty today. And so we come to honor Him. And in this Ascension Sunday, we remember that He was lifted up. And I always think of that promise. For over 20 years now, I've told you, that's, that's our driving focus. When Christ is lifted up, He will draw people to Him. And so, as God lifted Him up, as He was lifted up on the cross, as He was lifted up in, re- in, in His ascension, And we lift Him up in our praise. We lift Him up in our love. We lift Him up in the way that we care for our neighbors. And we lift Him up here at the table today. And we remind ourselves again, it's not just for ourselves that we take this. It's not just because I need this. And I need to be reminded of Christ's presence. It's because my neighbor is struggling. And I need to be able to know how to bring Christ to my neighbor. And I need to remind myself I have that gift. And if my neighbor has anxieties, I have Christ to share with them. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And we'll take together. you pray with me? And Father, we hear Peter's praise. And Father, I, I pray that that praise overflows not just through Peter, but through us as well. To You be dominion forever and ever. Lord, that's not just dominion in this world. That is dominion over our hearts. That is dominion over our intentions. Dominion over the way that we interact with others, we treat others. Lord, we don't want that to be our might. We want that to be you. We want them to see your love. And so I thank you for bringing us back to the table again, where we're reminded once again that the greatest act of love ever shown us was when Christ poured himself out and allowed himself to be broken for us. Lord, there are people around us who are in need of your care. Lord, they may only see that through us. So I pray today as we take, that we're reminded that we're not just taking this for ourselves. We're taking this for those who desperate, who are desperate to see Christ. We have to we we can be there to show Him. Bless the, bless the bread, bless the cup, and bless us together as we take today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.